Hey there. Welcome to episode two of ATL in 29, the podcast that looks at the NBA from the starting point of Atlanta, Georgia. My name is Kevin Chenard. Today's guest is Nick Whalen, RotoWire assistant NBA editor, and we're going to look at a few topics. The first one we're going to quote unquote borrow from former Bucksketball founder Jeremy Schmidt. The idea is we're going to look at over unders. However, we're going to put a twist on it. We're not just looking at win totals, we're looking at over unders for all sorts of team and individual statistics. Then we'll look at some players who excel in fantasy basketball to a degree that far exceeds what they might actually contribute to an NBA team. And we'll finish with a discussion of the collective bargaining agreement, whether or not that'll come in the near future, some of the things we might see in it that we haven't seen in the previous agreement. And we've got an audio clip from Stan Van Gundy uh, discussing one aspect of it. Thanks so much for joining us, and let's get started. here with Nick Whalen, who is, ooh, let's see here, first and foremost, probably the uh, Wisconsin's number one Jackson Jacksonville Jaguars fan. That's He's correct. A for, former host of the Bucksketball podcast. Were you the host? Is that a, you seem like you were. Yeah, 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 yeah. Host sounds about right. Okay. And also a Rotor Wire assistant NBA editor, also correct? Yes, you're three for three. All right. So for starters here, how does one become Wisconsin's number one Jacksonville Jaguars fan? This is a question that I've had to answer more than I would like to. Um, I don't know. I, the, the problem is I don't have a good answer for it. I was born and raised in the Green Bay area, not quite, you know, downtown Green Bay or anything like that, but about 10, 15 minutes away uh, from Lambeau Field. And I don't know what it is, Kale. I, I wish I had a better answer for you, but I, I think I fell in love with those those early 2000s, late 90s uh, Jaguars teams that were actually, this is going to shock a lot of people, but they were actually competent at playing NFL football. And, you know, the Mark Brunel, the Fred Taylor, the Jimmy Smith days, um, you know, obviously things have fallen off considerably since then. Uh, the Jags might have reached a new low this weekend. Um, but yeah, I, I still, you know, I still hold the, the proud title of Wisconsin's number one Jacksonville Jaguars fan. Let me, uh, bring you in with a little bit of NBA news here. The Pelicans have officially unofficially established sort of Lance Stevenson as their 15th man. I believe so. Yeah. Uh, well, the more official news is that they waived Alonzo G this morning. So you know, you kind of read between the lines, and that means that they're keeping Lance Stevenson. So I think he's getting paid what, like a hundred grand or something right now. I mean, I don't know if maybe that gets if that gets changed or you know, kind of renegotiated now that he's on the roster. Um, but this is great, right? I mean, the Pelicans are, are kind of the one team where you could say like, oh, you know, they have enough injuries and they have enough kind of lack of depth that maybe Lance Stevenson actually sees the court in a meaningful capacity for them. So. I mean, as general basketball fans, you know, you and I, we have our affiliations. Um, but I think first and foremost, we just love watching the NBA. And, you know, if you're talking pure watchability, this is this is great for the NBA product that Lance Stevenson is on a roster. I, I was excited. Uh, this is this is great news. Last week, uh, the Hawks and Pelicans played a preseason game. 
and Alvin Gentry was there for shoot-around. He said it was the first time he felt great since getting back from China, and then he didn't coach in the game. Uh, the Hawks coach, Mike Budenholzer, showed up in a cast. He got knocked sideways and had to leave the game, and so we ended up with a game with two assistant coaches, and I know for the Hawks it was Darvin Ham, and for the Pelicans it's escaping me who was running the team at that point. But he was going out of his way to get Lance's attention from the sideline, and it was doing him absolutely zero good. He was saying, Lance, Lance, Lance. Nothing. I, I think you got to address him as born ready, right? Maybe he only responds to that. <laughs> Mr. Ready? Mr. Yeah, Mr. Ready. Mr. Ready to be yeah, official. Yeah, I mean, regardless, though, I mean, it's, it's just glad to see Lance back in. You know, our long national nightmare of wondering, you know, is Lance Stevenson going to have to go overseas? Is finally over. Although if he went overseas, like this is definitely a guy who kind of like Beasley or Marbury, you know, where you'd forget about him. And then all of a sudden, you know, a tweet would come through in some random day in mid-January, like Lance Stevenson scores 147 <laughs> points in a Chinese league game. It's like, whoa, of course he did. Speaking of which, did you see Anthony Randolph's dunk yesterday? Yes. I feel like that did not get enough run. That was it crazy. It did not. That was, that was the That was the smoothest, just kind of, it was the most casual, you know, just complete leap over someone <laughs> in transition that I've ever seen. And obviously there aren't that many of those going around, but yeah, that was something. That was amazing. He he has to come back. He does. I, I mean, he's still, I, I feel like every time I, you know, check up on him, I'm like, I'm thinking, okay, he's got to be like 31 right now. And every time he's like, oh, wow, he's only 17. I mean, what is Anthony Randolph right now? He is... 27 a young 27 yeah plenty of time he's just coming into his prime actually to speak to get it back to the hawks a little bit you know, he was a teammate of of malcolm delaney who's going to be the hawks backup mm-hmm. point guard this year they played uh they played for a locomotive kuban in russia ah, right of course and <laughs> and they made it to the euro league final four they had a pretty good season and and so he's he's gradually made his way up. He's on Real Madrid this season. Is that right? I want to say that he's sounds on, about right. He's on that team, and really, you know, that's probably the one of the best teams in Europe. So he's mm-hmm. right there at that NBA threshold, I would think. He'll be back, but he has to be like next season or something because he's getting to that now or never point. Right, right. All right. So I wanted to start you off with a segment called 100 to 200. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna solicit your version of an NBA hot take uh, where, you know, the idea is degrees Fahrenheit. 100 degrees would be something that's barely warm at all. 200 degrees would be hot enough that you'd want to not touch it. You'd want to set it down before it it got too hot and burned you. So uh, what we're going to do is we're going to ask you what your particular version of, of a hot take is, and then I will guess what your self score for that hot take would be and then you can reveal to us what you what you scored it yourself. Okay. Okay, are you ready? Yes. All right. I, I'm gonna preface this by saying I have no idea where, you know, the general listening public will think this falls as a hot take. Uh so we'll see. But Clay Thompson has a very good chance to lead the NBA in scoring this season. The whole NBA. The not whole just NBA, the Warriors. Not, not just the Warriors, not just the Western Conference, not just the what Pacific Division, the whole NBA. Well, I think that's pretty warm. All right, so uh, let's see here. I've got to come up with a guess here. I mean, I'm sort of the, of the opinion that he won't really even lead the Warriors, so I'm going to have to go pretty high with this. Okay. I'm going to say 183. 
Very close. Uh, you know, I thought about this for hours. I, I was up, I basically didn't sleep last night because I was trying to think of what number, you know, between 100 and 200. Uh, I went with 177. You know, I, I played around. I thought one, 175 was a little too low. 178 was a little too high. Uh, and I settled on 177. I will say I don't think this is happening. I mean, that's kind of what a hot take is. is sure. you know, at least national hot take is you know, I, there's a, a chance that this could happen. Uh, I don't think it'll happen, you know, considering he has – what Steph Curry, who's a, a two-time scoring champ, I think Durant's like a four-time scoring champ. Uh, the numbers say it won't work out, but I mean Cl- Thompson was 12th in scoring last year. You know, 22 a game. Uh, it took just over eight threes. I think he can get you know 10, 11, maybe 12 three-point attempts per game this year. I don't think that's out of the question. Um, you know, Steph was over 11 last year, and and the, you know everything you read about this Warriors team, it, it was the uh, the piece on Durant. I think it was the Rolling Stone piece that came out during that that Warriors content dump uh, was that Wednesday or Wednesday or Thursday of last week. I'm still, I'm still sorting through all that. I still haven't gotten around to the Draymond piece, which is egregious. Um, But I mean, Curry's the one saying, Hey man, I've, you know, I got my MVPs. I got my title. I'm willing to take a step back for you. KD, you know, KD, there's that implication that, all right, we're welcoming you to this team, but at the same time you have to do your part to kind of fit in and assimilate and then there's Thompson, who's just been on the complete opposite end of the spectrum, saying, you know, I'm not sacrificing blank. Um, and I think with the way that Durant can get to the hoop, with the way that, that certainly Draymond and Curry can get to the hoop, and, and they're all willing passers, Thompson's just going to have to catch and shoot. And, and he's the best in the league at that. Curry's the best overall shooter. He's the best shooter off the dribble. Uh, but Thompson is the guy that I think if you, if you ask one player to knock down a, a catch-and-shoot three-pointer to win a game, you want Clay Thompson taking that shot. I think he's going to have, you know, some games, 12, 13, 14, three-point attempts, you know, with eight or nine of those being close to wide open because of how much defenses have to respect uh, those other three guys. So, you know, I, again, I wouldn't put money on Clay Thompson leading the league in scoring, but I, a little part of me thinks that, you know, you know, the general belief that he's going to be the one to, to kind of have to take a step back with Durant coming, I, I don't see that being the case. So to put a number on it, how many points a game do you think it would – it would take from clay to, to lead the league. You know, what, what is he capable of in terms of just raw number of points? Yeah, that's the question. I mean, it's, it's tough because we've never really seen clay outside of the, you know, Curry and Draymond dynamic. Um, I, I think it, it's going to, the thing is, it's going to take, you know, 28, 29 points per game to probably get on top of Harden, who was at 29 last year. Um, but you know, Curry, Curry led the league at 30.1 last year. I, I think that goes down. Uh, I think Durant at 28, Last year probably, you know, regresses maybe into the 26-27 territory. I don't really see LeBron. I think LeBron's a strong MVP candidate this year. I don't think he's going to coast through the regular season like, like a lot of people think he will. But at this, at this point in his career, he's not a guy that's going to approach 30 points per game. You know, I think he'll kind of sit in that 25, you know, 7.5 rebounds, 7 assists type of thing, which he's basically done his entire career. The guy who, who kind of scares me is Lillard. I think Damian Lillard could be, you know, up close to 30 points per game. He was at 25 last year. So, you know, for Clay to, to really have a shot here, he's basically going to have to increase his scoring output by probably at least six points per game, which is, to be fair, quite a bit to ask. But when you're doing it, you know, relying so heavily on the three ball, um, you know, six points per game is just kind of, you know, two extra three-pointers is one way to look at it. And, and even that would certainly be, you know, a sizable increase uh, per game for, for a guy like him. But I think the way that this Warriors team is going to play, uh, you know, just about anything in terms of projecting statistics is on the table. Interesting. So 
going with that theme and uh, going on your experience as the former host of the Bucksketball podcast, uh, I would like to conveniently rip off an idea from Bucksketball founder Jeremy Schmidt. Uh, in seasons past, in the last week before the regular season started, you would do a podcast slash column. I think the two kind of went together. Yep. Where the different folks from Bucksketball would pick some over-unders. And not necessarily over-unders in the traditional sense, where I think most people do over-unders based on win totals. But we're just going to do a bunch of over-unders based on not only win totals, but also just some individual player statistics, team statistics, and things like that. Sound good? Yeah, let's do it. All right. So since we are uh, stealing this idea uh, from a Bucks blog, let's start with Giannis and Tedekumpo. And my over-under for him was 7.2 assists per game. If we're setting that as the line, would you go over or under 7.2 assists per game for Giannis this season? That's uh, yeah, I, I've thought about this a little bit already. I've, you know, you sent me these uh, over the weekend, and that that's a very very solid uh, you know number, I guess, to set it at because I think it's going to be right in that area. I would have to go under just because you know watching this Bucks team play. In the preseason, things things did not look great for for a lot of the time. And as talented as Giannis is, and as you know, as talented as Jabari Parker is, I do wonder about the talent around them. Um, you know how that's going to, to to manifest as far as wins is one question, and and statistics, I guess, is another. You look at Giannis. You know, post All Star break last year, the assist numbers were right at seven point two, and you know, during that time, his usage was up. Um, you know, the Bucks weren't really winning any more games, but it was, a, you know, it was a markedly different style of play with, with Giannis, you know, seeing, you know, almost all of his 37 minutes per game at the point guard spot. And, you know, as impressive as that was, I, I, I do wonder if he can get to that total over an entire season. I mean, that was only a 28 game sample. Um, and there were still a lot of games in there where, you know, Giannis would kind of disappear for, for long stretches. And that's kind of been one of the criticisms of him, you know, through his first three NBA seasons is, you know, a lot of the time, the the talent and the you know the all around, uh, you know, I guess abilities as a, as a playmaker are on display. But he still does have those times where he has a tendency to just kind of just be a secondary piece. And and part of the reason for that is he can't do a whole lot off the ball. So, you know, I think the addition of of Toledovic is going to help uh, as far as you know kick out for for threes, which which is kind of remarkable because you know Giannis was able to get to seven point two assists after the All Star break, basically having one and a half three point shooters on the court with him you know and this is a guy this is a guy who does you know a lot of his work getting to the hoop and kicking out and he's kicking you know OJ Mayo is MIA at that point in the year uh, obviously Middleton you know was kind of the only true three point threat that they had Bayless kind of played over his head for a lot of the year um but with Middleton out this year it's hard to say like what does that mean for another player's assist totals but you kind of have to expect maybe a little bit of a regression just because he doesn't have those weapons on the perimeter. Uh, and we also know uh, Greg Monroe's propensity, I guess, for for blowing uh, at least two and a half assists per game that you could probably credit to Giannis. Ouch. Yeah, That's I maybe have, a little bit of exaggeration. I think I'm going to go with the under here, too. If, if, okay. Chris, if Chris Middleton were you know, still healthy, it would have been a lot more difficult of a decision than it was but I'm just thinking without him the shooting quality goes down dramatically you know Jabari 
and and Giannis are both great scorers, but they both have to do so much of their work around the paint. And you know, Michael Beasley is going to make a lot of unassisted baskets for himself. So that's true. That's you, true. You put that whole picture together, <laughs> and I'm going to have to say under the 7.2 assists per game total for Giannis. Right. I didn't even think of Beasley. I mean, that's <clears throat> that's 30, 35 points per game. You know, right there that are all unassisted. <laughs> All right, so let's tackle another one here. Since uh, this entire NBA season is dedicated to the Golden State Warriors, uh, let's do an over-under for their win total. How many wins will they win this season? I've set the line at 67 wins. How do you feel about the Warriors in that particular line? I'm going over. Um, you know, I think the argument is they're going to rest guys. They they don't want to chase, you know, they don't want the pressure of, you know, the 73 wins, or I guess it would be 74 wins now. Uh, kind of hanging over them as they pursue a title. But even if those are factors that are in play, and I think to some degree they are, um, I mean, this team isn't going to go out of its way to lose games, right? I mean, I, I think they're so talented, obviously, at the top with, with their with their top four guys. Um, and, and, of course, Zaza Pachulia at center. Um, but, but they're also deep enough on the bench that you can afford to you know rest Steph Curry, whether it's for an entire game um, or, or, you know, you're sitting him out second halves, which we saw so much of last season you have guys on the, you know, on the bench for this team that the talent level, you know, certainly going from Curry to, to Sean Livingston or Iguodala or Ian Clark is a drop off, but it's not to the point where you, you're just taking yourself out of game. So I think even if this team does strategically rest players, even if they do, you know, have some issues coalescing at some point, which, you know, during the preseason hasn't looked to be the case at all. Um, you know, 67 wins is, is a lot in the NBA, but you also look at it as that means this team's losing 15 games. And you tell me where you go through this schedule and find 15 losses uh, for this Golden State Warriors team. And I, I just think, you know, they're going to have enough games where they're up handily. Um, you know, it's, it's not like they're going to be asking Durant and Curry and Thompson and Draymond to play 35, 36 minutes a game. And these guys could all be in the low 30s. Um, so even if, you know, I think in that respect, you don't necessarily have to sit out games, you know, to rest because you're kind of building in your rest as the schedule goes on. And, and that's really what they did for most of last season. So, you know, maybe they don't want the pressure, you know, uh, of going into the playoffs again uh, as having, you know, the best regular season record. But to me, that, that might just happen by default because they're going to be that good. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm hesitant. I just think that there are enough things that can go wrong. I think I'm going to go with the under. I just think that there's, you know, there's potential for injury that, They've been kind of fortunate the last couple of seasons, you know, accepting Curry's injury in the playoffs, of course. And I have this weird feeling that teams are going to try to approach the Warriors the same way they approach the Kings, which seems like an odd thing to say. But I think a lot of teams go into Kings games trying to figure out how to bug the heck out of Boogie Cousins and try to get him sort of irritated and sort of irascible. And I think that teams might do that again with, with Draymond Green, just, you know thinking of Draymond as a person who might overreact to something that goes mm -hmm. bad on the court, you know, G get him to start flailing his legs and, and see what happens from there. Yeah. I mean, that, that does say a lot about this team. It's like the best strategy you have at beating them is <laughs> trying to get one of their players, like trying to bait him into getting ejected. Um, but the problem is they have like four DeMarcus cousins though. So no, I mean, I can see it. I, I think it's going to take probably an injury for them to get under 67. I mean, LeBron won 66 with Booby Gibson and Ben Wallace and Robbie and Wally Zerbiak, if you want to look at it that way. Um, and the thing is, like, I mean, 67 wins, the Spurs were right in that realm last year. You know, I mean, if Golden State wins less than 67 games, they might not even be the one seed in the West. That's true.
I, I think San Antonio takes a step back, though. I, I think so, can't too. can't see them. So that might be another factor that, that mm. I would cite is just that they're not going to be pushed the way they were last year. Yeah, very true. All right. Turning to the Hawks here for a bit. Uh, Kyle Korver over under 44% on his three-point field goals. Ooh. Um, well, I, th- I think Korver has to have a bounce-back year by default. I mean, if you look at the splits between, you know, 2014, 15 and 2016, seven, or in 2015, 16, I should say, um, you know, basically a you know 10 percentage point difference uh, in three point percentage. I don't think that happens again. I'm going to take the under on 44, but not by much. You know, I think he, he's a career, what, 43% shooter. I think he's kind of sits right in that zone again. Um, 39.8 last year was the lowest, <clears throat> excuse me, that we've seen from him since 08, 09. Um, and you and I talked, I think a couple weeks ago on, on the Rotowire podcast about Corver's game as he ages, you know, he's, he's going into his age 35 season. He's going to be 36 in March, but he's not really the type of player who you see, you know, kind of hitting a wall at any point. You know, I think he'll have the normal slow regression of, of any veteran, but he doesn't rely a ton on athleticism. Um, you know, and, and his game has really not dropped off much. Um, you know, from a peer production standpoint before last year. So I, I think he rebounds and gets to about 43, 43 and a half, but I won't take the over on 44. Yeah, I'm going to take the over. Uh, I sort of agree with you that, you know, as he ages, um, you know, his offensive game really should just keep rolling no matter what his age is because it doesn't rely on athleticism. I think the limiting factor for the length of his career is going to be, you know, how well he can defend. And, you know, he seems like the kind of guy could do what he does on offense till he's 45 years old, to right. be honest. Uh, but I just, looking at his last season, I think if you sort of split it up, first half versus second half, you know, he really struggled in the first half of the season. And then he was one of the more uh, productive shooters in the second half of the season. So, I, you know, I think it was a lot of it was health-based. And he look, he's looked really good in the preseason. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take the over here. I think he's probably going to finish somewhere around 45% or so. All right, so let's see here. How about LeBron? For this one, I wanted to look at how many games, how many regular season games does he play here? How do the Cavs approach uh, using him this season? And, you know, how healthy does he stay? So we've, I set the line here at 71 regular season games played. How do you feel about that line? I think this is another good line by by the KL Offshore betting service um I, I think 71 is about right i would take the over um he's only played fewer than 71 twice in his career uh one time was the the lockout year so that doesn't really count only missed four games out of 66 that year uh and the other time was two years ago when he took his little uh, south beach hiatus midway through the season um and I think generally people seem to think this season could go one of two ways for Cleveland. It's either, you know, they kind of carry over this finals momentum, you know, LeBron, you know, still has this kind of personal rivalry with, with Curry and the Warriors and they just come out and, you know, kind of roll over everybody in the East or they have a little bit of a, I don't know if it would quite be a championship hangover as much as it would be like a, a, you know, they would choose to have a championship hangover, you know, they just kind of coast a little bit through the East. You know, no one really got all that much better in the East. I don't think Boston really scares them all that much. I mean, now Horford has never really played all that well against LeBron teams. Um, so if it's the if it's the latter and the Cavs coast a little bit, maybe we see LeBron, you know, take uh, five games off midway through the season or, you know, he starts sitting back to backs after the All-Star break or something like that. But I think it's going to depend on where this team is. I mean, they still want home field advantage or home court advantage, I should say in the Eastern conference. So 
you know, if it's like last year in, in Toronto or Boston or whoever is right there after the break, LeBron's not the type of guy, not the, not the type of leader, I think, to just kind of lay down and concede, you know, so, you know, we'll just take the second seed or we'll take the third seed. I think they, they have that, you know, that defending champion pride. They want to be the one seed in the East. And I think LeBron is, you know, every, every year this, this, the same exact story emerges, and especially these last three, four years, as he gets a little bit older, it's, yeah, you know, Coach Lou wants me to rest, but I don't want to rest. I mean, he's very public about saying, you know, they have to basically force me to do this. And, you know, I, I, Tyron Lou obviously runs this team, but I think LeBron has just about more personal pull when it comes to decisions like this than, than anybody in the league. So as long as he's not hurt, I think he, he'll get to 74, 75 games. They're going to have some rest every now and then. Uh, but unless he's hurt, I, I don't think he's missing more than 10 games. Yeah, I agree. I think I'm going to take the over here. You know, he's got such an incredible track record staying healthy. And uh, the only thing I would add to what you say is I I still kind of grate a little bit when I hear about that South Beach vacation. It just seemed like I know that, you know, there were pictures or whatever, and he was different places as he was healing up there. And I know that was when the Cavs were struggling and with this whole stuff with David Blatt wasn't going really well. But some of those games leading up to that, that you know that injury absence that he had he you know he he went out of bounds and stepped on a cameraman and landed really awkwardly he took a couple of shots on the side of his knee I mean I I don't think there was anything imaginary or fake or vacation about that at all I thought he was genuinely hurt he really he looked like he took a couple of shots uh to his legs during that time and I think he probably really needed that break and it probably ended up helping them in the long run no, I think so, too. I think his back was giving him issues. I mean, I forget who they were playing. I, I want to say it was Phoenix, the first game back. And he, I mean, LeBron didn't look like himself uh, through that, you know, those first, whatever it was, 25, 30 games of the season. Um, I mean, he just, he just, he didn't quite have that explosion. He, he wasn't pushing, you know, through contact like he, like he normally was. And it was night and day, really, once he came back. And obviously it was night and day for the Cavs as a team after that, too. All right, last one here, and I might tack on a bonus at, at the end of it that kind of goes with it. But Carl uh, Anthony Towns, 22 points per game. What do you think of that line? Would you go over or under 22 points a game for one of the budding superstars in the league? I'll go over. I mean, he got to 18.3 last year uh, on only 14 shots. Uh, only, you know, only took a little over one three per game. I think I think the three-point output increases uh, this season and – you know, under Tibbs, you know, he played 32 minutes per game as a rookie, which which is a lot for any rookie. But under Tibbs, I mean, that number could rise <laughs> two, three, four. I mean, he could be playing 42 minutes per game. We don't or, even know. Or 46 or 47. Right. Yeah, I mean, 49. A couple Tibbs overtime games sort of you could to, get to, to 49. Yeah, so, I mean, I, I think for, he's just going to, you know, I think that maybe he doesn't explode necessarily from a, you know, per minute standpoint, but I think he's going to be playing four more minutes per game. I think he's going to be taking more shots. Um, you know, obviously this offense is going to be run through him. So, yeah, I think he can get to, you know, 22, 23. I mean, what, what's the ceiling for Towns? Like, what's the absolute most you could realistically see him averaging? Like, is is like 26 and 12 out of the question? This season or at any point in his career? This season. This season. Oh, I think that would be a lot. I could see like, that would be, that would I would say lot. 23 and 12, not necessarily 26 yeah. and 12. But I mean, I think that 23 is 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 very, you know, could be actualized very easily right right well what, I mean, just the other night he what he was 17 of 17 at the free throw line i mean come on if, he, if he's doing half of that on a given night he'll have no problem getting to 23 
Yeah, I agree. I was going to go under, but your argument about minutes convinced me. So I'm going to make a last-minute change and go over with you here. Uh, the, the minutes argument is very compelling. I w I'm a little bit nervous about Minnesota and their offense and some of the players they have around him. And, you know, is he the best shooter that they have on their whole yep. team? Uh, but but the, the minutes argument is compelling. I could see that adding to his points per game. All right, so just as a surprise throw in here, would do you – you, who do you think will average more points per game this season, Carl Anthony Towns or Anthony Davis? Ooh, I'm I'm high on Davis this year. I'm I'm back on Anthony Davis. Uh, he might have the worst supporting cast, maybe of like any superstar of his caliber, you know, that we've seen maybe outside of Demarcus Cousins in, in recent memory. But I'll take Davis. I mean, generally last year it was you know Davis had a terrible down year. He you know he barely. Quite, you know, I don't did he even make it All NBA team last year? Did he sneak onto the third team? Oof, I'm not sure. I don't, I don't think he did. Um, I don't think. It I mean, it, it was considered. You know, yeah, I, I think it was you know considered a, a poor year for him, and he still averaged you know twenty four points per game. So, you know, assuming that he's healthier, which is a big assumption because he's you know he's already banged up in in the preseason. He's never played more than sixty eight games in a season. Um, but you know, assuming he's able to stay relatively healthy, which you would like to think, you know, when you're making these type of projections. I mean, I, I think he gets to 24 pretty easily. We're talking about, you know, 23, 24 is the absolute ceiling for Towns. I see 23, 24 as kind of the baseline for Davis with the potential to go, you know, two or three points per game higher. I agree. I, I, I would think that, that, that Davis is going to score more. I'm I'm excited to see Terrence Jones with him. I think that's a good fit. Yep. I think the rest of the team, unless, you know, until Drew Holiday comes back, I think the rest of the team is a train wreck, but. Uh, you know, you hey, gotta... we just got done talking about Lance Stevenson, man. Come on, no, no need for that cheap shot. <laughs> That's true. That's true. All right. I, I actually have a couple of over unders for you. If, oh, you, if you want to get to, wow. if, we're, if we're short on time, we can skip them. No, let's let, let's go. Let's have them. Okay, we'll go. We'll go quickly then. Uh, first one: Johnny O'Brien over under ten NBA games played. Uh, who's Johnny O'Brien? I guess under then. Who's Johnny O'Brien? Uh, well. <laughs> Yeah, so well, that's the thing is like he needs to get signed first. That's the big impetus. You know, once he gets signed, I'm not worried. You know, I think any any team that brings him on will immediately see the kind of value that's there, and it'll be impossible to keep him off the court. But I mean, right now, what is it looking like? I mean, maybe does it count if he plays ten games for the the Idaho Stampede or the the Fort Wayne Mad Ants? Uh, were we talking about NBA games played or regular games played? I I think we should go NBA games played. Yeah, then I'm definitely going to take the under there. Yeah, I, as of right now, I guess, considering he is a free agent, uh, it's hard to see him playing more than 10. Um, okay, I found a bunch of Warriors over-unders over the weekend that, that I thought were really fun, and obviously we're not going to get through all of them, but I'll throw out a couple that I thought were particularly interesting. Over-under on the longest Warriors w losing streak this season, one and a half. <laughs> no way. Yeah. Really? These are real, yeah. Oh, I, I think they're going to lose two in a row at some point. You know, I don't think they're going to lose many games, but I think, you know, a slump is a slump. I think, you know, their their losses will be clustered. So I think that they will get to a point where they lose two in a row or three out of four. You know, when they lose games, it'll be a cluster when they're struggling. Somebody sprains an ankle. Somebody else is sitting out yeah. a couple of games. Yeah, I, I, I can't see them going without any losing streak whatsoever. Yeah, that one's tough. I mean, that, that's basically what the what the line at one and a half says. It's like, are the Warriors ever losing two games in a row? I I think, I, yeah, I think they get to two. They probably don't ever lose more than two in a row, but it's, it's an 82-game season. At some point, they're losing two. Uh, oh, how about this one? Longest Warriors win streak over under 18 and a half games. 
I mean, there probably have only been maybe like five or six winning streaks ever that long, but at the same time, they're the type of team that would get into it. I mean, I think if they did it, it would be early in the season. I think maybe later mm-hmm. in the season they'll be resting some guys. But yeah, I, I, I would guess I would say over on that. I think so too. I mean, didn't the the Shane Battier, Bobby Sura Rockets win like twenty three in a row one year? Was Bobby Sura on that team? I'm not sure if he was on I'm that team. I'm not sure. I, I know Battier was. Later. was. Yeah, Battier was definitely on that team. And I think it like came on a Yao Ming team after Yao was hurt. Yeah, and I think T-Mac might have been hurt at the time, too. It was just kind of this ragtag collection of, of Rockets guys who were able to get that done. Yeah, I mean, the Heat put together, what was it, 27? That was kind of a, that was a mid-season streak, too, which was, which was kind of impressive. Like you said, I think if it does happen, it, it'll be early in the year when everybody's fresh and you know teams are still kind of figuring out how to play them. Uh, but but 18 and a half, I think, seems a little bit low. I think they can get to 20. All right, last one. Number of Milwaukee Bucks in the All-Star game, 0.5. Oh, wow. Over. So basically, do the Bucks get an All-Star? Over. Is it, is, it, uh, is it Giannis? Is it Parker? Is it Toledovich? I, I, you know, 80-20 Giannis Toledovich. Right. I would have said 80-20 Toledovich Giannis. But, yeah, I think it's one of those two. <laughs> I don't know if Giannis gets in. I mean, I, I, with one of my colleagues here, we went through and you know kind of parsed out our All Stars for each conference, and the Western Conference is clearly much harder. But in the East, like I feel like if Dwayne Wade gets the fan vote, you know, being in Chicago, if he gets the fan vote, that means Jimmy Butler is getting a coach's pick, so that's one spot gone. I think Kevin Love gets back on. I think Kyrie Irving gets back on. Obviously, LeBron's there. Porzingis might get voted in like there's just too many moving pieces and I feel like the Bucks are going to be too bad of a basketball team you know for Giannis to to get a coach's selection yeah I I just think that he's going to get enough triple doubles people love triple doubles what's more exciting than a triple double nothing nothing at all exactly so I the, the people love their triple doubles and that that's going to get him some love from you know from from enough voters that that eventually a coach will pick him as as a reserve. I hope so. I mean, the Bucks haven't had an All Star I think since '04. I think it's Michael, Michael Red, Red, right? Yeah, Michael 05, Red. Yeah. So that's a long time. It's been a while. All right. Well, you know, we've we've had you on the podcast here because you know you're an expert on the Bucks, you're an expert on the Jaguars, but you you also work for RotoWire. I do. So you're an expert in fantasy sports, presumably. And so I wanted to discuss the Kiki Vandeweghe All-Stars, which would be players who excel in fantasy without actually being terrific as an NBA player, an actual on-the-court NBA player. And, you know, anytime you get the chance to, you know, name a mock team that's, Mm -hmm. you know, pejorative in nature, you want to name it after, you know, the NBA senior uh, executive vice president of player operations you know that's a rare opportunity so we've got to take advantage of that yeah of course um yeah this this was tough i think it's it would almost be easier to go the other way around and like name players who are you know much better in real life than they are in fantasy because the defense element you know is so much bigger in in the nba than it is when you're talking fantasy but um i did put together a few guys tyreek evans is one uh not a guy who's ever been on many winning teams in the nba but when he's healthy, he'll give you, you know, 18, six and six, which, you know, in fantasy, the most valuable type of players are guys who contribute across multiple categories. And, and Evan certainly does that. Bobby Covington, he, he's ranked in the top 85 players uh, overall in, in our head to head rankings this year. And basically just because he's a volume three point shooter, um, you know, not a great defender, 
He's been on some bad Sixers teams. He's kind of one of those guys where you wonder, it's like if he was on a real team, would he even, you know, would he play as much as he does? I have to, my doubts about that. To play devil, devil's advocate, do you think that the Sixers are going to be better when he plays this season versus when he doesn't play? I mean, do they sort of need him? I think so. I mean, they, when you have no shooting, you know, if you're, if you're going to start McConnell at point guard for now, oh uh, which, yeah, I, I mean, I don't know if they're going to do that, but like when you don't have shooting at the point guard position, um, you know, you don't have a great shooter at the two either, and you have a non-shooter, you know, it, whether it's Nerlens or, or Jalil Okafor at center, you, you kind of need, uh, you need someone to make up for that. And, and Covington being the volume guy that he is, I, I think is valuable to them in that regard. Yeah. All right. Well, and do you have any others? Who, who else? Yeah. Is, uh... Yeah. I mean, it, there's no like elite guys, you know, you know, there's not like a top 10 fantasy player who's just like, like a terrible real player. Um, but you know, like Greg Monroe is still really valuable in fantasy, even though he seemed to have tanked the Bucks' defense single-handedly uh, last season. And you know, he's he's a guy that's basically going to average or did average close to a double-double last year. Um, Pau Gasol, kind of the same way, um, really, really valuable fantasy player, but a guy who you can't really depend upon at all defensively. Um, so that's that's kind of the main thing. It, it's it's those you know it's those Monroe, those Pau Gasol, Nick Vucevic type of guys who you know, can give you, you know, and his canter's another one can give you close to double, double numbers, but just, you know, kill you so much on defense that, you know, they're, they're just much more valuable in fantasy because, you know, there's no, there's no fantasy league that takes into account defensive rating or anything like that. I was going to suggest a couple and, and you just kind of plucked one off before I could get to it. But of the two that I were going to suggest and ask you about, what about Vucevic is, is how good is he in fantasy and how much of a liability is he to the magic? Yeah, I mean, in fantasy, he's a top 100 guy. I think we have him at like 97, 98 in our overall rankings, and he would have been higher, you know, in previous seasons without all the additions that they made. I'm a little worried about him. I I went on a a show the other day and we that we taped, uh, you know, kind of talking about overrated players, and he was one of the guys that I came up with. And it's not because I dislike his game or or anything. I just think they bring in Jeff Green, you know, they bring in Serge Ibaka, they bring in Biz. Uh, you already have Aaron Gordon, who I guess they're just fine playing out of position now. Like Vucevic to me seems like he might be the odd one out, and and he's the most tenured of them all. Uh, but when you're bringing in a new coach in Frank Vogel and a coach who's used to having rim protectors, you know Roy Hibbert, Jan Mahimi, guys like that, Vucevic doesn't fit that whatsoever. I mean, what he brings is the ability to kind of spread into the mid range, score around the basket, and and that's valuable. But the NBA as a whole has kind of moved past those type of players, and you know when you're comparing him to the rim protecting ability of Bayambo, you know, to, to a slightly lesser degree, Ibaka, who I think is going to have a nice little rebirth in Orlando uh, and, and kind of remind people just how good he is when he's not playing with two, you know, super superstars uh, and, and, and Russ and Durant. I think, you know, if you're Frank Vogel, I don't know how you can really justify playing Vucevic over Ibaka because Ibaka can spread the floor just about as well as Vucevic can and, and further out even behind the three-point line. And he's a such, you know, so much better on the defensive end that, it wouldn't really surprise me if Vucevic is maybe moved at some point or, or if he, he kind of slides into a slightly lesser role just because uh, I think there's a coach in place now who, who's going to you know, hold him a little bit more accountable on the defensive end. How jealous is Scott Skiles of the potential of a Biombo ibaka front court? Very jealous, right? I mean, I, I think he has to be. Um this, this Magic team, I think, is still kind of a mess, you know, just because they have, you know, maybe too many guys for like two spots. Um, and the backcourt, I still, I'm not really sold on Alfred Payton. 
but that front court rotation is going to be interesting. I mean, you're, you're throwing four or five, you know, really good players uh, at teams. And, you know, you're putting a guy like Aaron Gordon, who's 6'10", and, you know, kind of profiles as a, as a prototypical type of power forward at small forward. I think that's going to create some issues for teams. And, you know, I think consequently it's created some some issues for the Magic themselves too. But, I mean, they're going to be an interesting team. I mean, they're, they're a team that I could see, you know, just kind of bottoming out and, and being a bottom seven team. Uh, but with Frank Vogel coming in, you know, it, it, I think they've been one of the more poorly coached teams over the last, you know, seven, eight years, right? Pretty much since Stan Van Gundy left, um, the Jacques Vaughn era did not go well. <laughs> uh, the Scott Skiles era did not go well. I, I think, I think they finally got their guy in Vogel and he's not, he's not someone that you really ever want to bet against. All right. I'll probably get in trouble for this last one, but what do you think of Damian Lillard? Is, is he as good as his numbers in a fantasy sense might suggest? I think he is. Yeah. I, I mean, the, the, the problem with Lillard is the efficiency. Um, you know, I, I wrote something a few weeks ago, kind of calling him a Steph Curry light. And, you know, that's not really a take by any means. I think uh, the numbers bear that out and, you know, the, the, their playing style is so similar, but Curry shot 51% or 50%, I should say from the field last season, Lillard was at 42%. You know, I, I think the efficiency has to come up for him to really be considered, uh, you know, a top tier player. This is a guy who wasn't even an all-star last season. Um, so, but I do like him. I, I think from a fantasy perspective, he, there's really not going to be much of a drop off here. Um, I, I do wonder about his health. I mean, they do. They ask him to do so, so much for that offense. He was able to play 75 games last year. He's never really had major injury issues, uh, which is nice. But when you carry that type of burden for a team, it, it does wear on you a little bit. Um, but yeah, like I said, the efficiency is, is the one thing you want to see come up. But other than that, I'm, I'm all in on Damian Lillard. Okay. I'm an idiot. I just, I just, just this little tiny part of me wonders how good he actually is. I just Steve Kerr. Steve Kerr predicted him as his MVP. Wow. Yeah, I don't know why Steve Kerr is going out of his way to say that, but you know, still speaks volumes. No, and with his range, I agree on the Curry light comparisons. It's just, mm-hmm. I just wonder as an overall package, you know, how good can he be as the best player on on his team? And it just makes me a little nervous. I, yeah, I don't. I mean, people say like, you know, could you switch Curry and Kyrie and get the same result, or Curry and uh, Lillard and get the same results? Like, no, no definitely, no. definitely not. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Well, I know we've got to let you go soon. And uh, you know, the last thing I wanted to hit on before we left was I. I think we've probably got a collective bargaining agreement coming in the very near future, and I was just wondering what were uh, some of the things that you thought. Uh, might be coming, you know, things that might either be, you know, good for all sides involved or, you know, things that, that the two sides might be able to agree upon in this upcoming CBA. And, and just as a lead-in, I wanted to play this this clip from, from Stan Van Gundy on two-way players. Contract with your relationships between NBA teams and D-League teams? Oh, I think it absolutely has to happen. You know, I, I think for for both the players and the, and the organizations and for the, for the strength of the D-League, you know. I, I mean, at this point, it really doesn't make much sense for, for the owners to invest a whole lot more in the D-League because, you know, all right, you can send your own players down, which is good, but they're getting paid anyway. Um, but for the other guys... In most cases, you're developing guys for other teams. So why are you going to really invest in those guys? And for the players' sake, it's the same thing. Whereas if we could have, say, 18 guys under contract instead of 15, you know, and then guys could be down. If you, you could at times have, you know, five guys down here, you know. 
and the guys that you're working to develop could be very important to your future. So for the players, it's better because of what you're able to invest in their development. Um, we would pay coaches more at that level, probably have more experienced coaches at that level, league-wide. I love our staff league-wide. You know, you'd have better job, everything. You'd invest more in facilities, everything else, to, to make that a better experience for the players because it would pay benefits to you at the end that it doesn't, right? that it doesn't right now. And so I think it's a change that has to come. What I hear from people who know a lot more about it than I do is that they think that that change will come, um, but that it will coincide with um, everybody having their own team. We're getting closer, but we're not there yet. Um, but at the day that we have 30 D-League teams, everybody's got their own. A lot of people think that those kind of things will will come. Um, you know, and again, that's something I'm sure with the players needs to be collectively bargained. But to me, if you've got three slots at whatever amount of money um, that don't figure into the salary cap or anything else, I don't see the, the downside. And the upside is... We, we, not, we get to develop our own guys, but also then guys don't have to go to Europe to make money. Right now, that's their choice. Do they want to stay in the better guys, the fringe guys? They have to make the choice between staying in the D-League, which gives them the chance at the call-up, or making a living overseas. We don't give them both. <laughs> you know, we don't give them right. both. I mean, they, they really can't make a living, or a, at least not a decent one, in the D-League. And so I, I think we've got to set it up so that they can do both. So, Nick, what do you think of the idea of the two-way player, and what are some other things that you might see coming in this next collective bargaining agreement? First of all, I love the two-way player idea, and I think, you know, what Van Gundy said about ex expanding a roster to 18 guys, um, you know, whether you go about it that way and, and, you know, they're a part of the official roster or, you know, you kind of have, like, a separate roster of D-League players that are under a completely separate, you know, D-League type of cap, um, I think that's I think that's the next necessary step. Uh, I, I read something. There was a quote, I think, from Carmelo Anthony last week, and he was asked about, you know, kind of a similar question about the future of the D-League as more and more teams, you know, kind of get their exclusive teams. And he basically said, you need to make it so it's not a punishment. And, you know, I, I think, you know, smart people around the league know it's not a punishment. Players know it's not a punishment, but it still does have that stigma, you know, and if you're a young player and you're sitting at the end of the bench and you're getting sent to the main red claws for two weeks. You're not happy about it. You know, you want to be with your team. You want to prove, you know, in practice, you know, whether it's, you know, whenever you have a chance that you belong on an NBA court. And I think these are, these are very, you know, prideful players that, that don't take necessarily well to, to being sent to a D league arena where there's 500 people, you know, barely paying attention to the game. So I think Carmelo's right. You need to make it seem like it's not a demotion. Um, and it's more of a, you know, just a way to, to kind of get you on the court to kind of season you for the future. And, um, you, you know, the fact that, you know, like, like Van Gundy said, you know, you, in a lot of regards, when you're sending a player to the D league, you, you're prepping them for another team. You know, I mean, what, Tim Frazier is a good example, you know, for the Blazers a couple of years ago, spends most of the year in the D league, wins the D league MVP. Uh, now he's student up for the Pelicans, you know, so the Blazers kind of had him, had this investment in Tim Frazier. Uh, and, you know, ended up kind of showcasing him for another team. And I think the goal is to be able to to develop players that you can actually use on your roster, not just 10-day guys who you're bringing up at the end of a season to get a look. You know, 
you can send a, a late first round pick and say, you know, you're going to spend 70% of the year in the D league. And then we'll kind of reevaluate later in the year. And there shouldn't be this stigma that, oh, this guy's not ready. Wow. He's so raw. He's in the D league. It should be, no, you know, we don't want him sitting on our bench and only playing five minutes every other game when he can go and play 35 minutes a night, you know, in a, in a league that has respectable competition. Yeah, I agree. And I think that'll get better as, as more teams get affiliates and there's a stronger connection between the roster of the D-League team and the roster of the NBA team. Some of the fans of the NBA team will sort of trickle down to the D-League teams, and as that happens, it gets a little bit more prestige. And I think, you know, there's a process by which this can all happen and become a more positive thing. Yeah, I think so, too. I mean, it needs to kind of follow the minor league baseball structure, right? I mean, AAA baseball, um, where you know, in the NBA, you know, obviously your top prospects aren't going to necessarily go to the D League. I mean, the Sixers aren't going to send Ben Simmons to spend his rookie year there. But, you know, in baseball, you you draft a player, you know, number one overall, and you might not see him for two or three years. Uh, I don't think the NBA needs to follow that structure necessarily. But I think it's it's just it's a nice way to to kind of ease the transition for players who might not be quite ready. And the you know the, those type of players, if if you're drafted, you know, you're under a separate contract, and you're not worried about only making 35000 a year on your D-League salary. So I think one thing that I want to see, kind of going back to your original question, is raising the salary in the D-League. And I think in a lot of ways that can kind of help to eliminate the stigma that it's the second-class league because you're losing a lot of talent right now that could be in the D-League and probably would want to be in the D-League uh, rather than playing in Israel or Thailand or the Philippines. Shout out to Andre Blach. Uh, just because the money isn't even close to comparable. So I think with the way that the NBA has, has taken off. Um, obviously, the new TV deal has pumped a lot of money into that. The league is really in a better place than it's been in a long time. Um, I think it's kind of a no-brainer to to adjust the salaries to a point where it's at least a livable wage. I agree. What, what do you suspect might be some other CBA changes? Um, I mean, there's the, the idea of kind of bringing back a, a one-time amnesty has been floated around. I don't necessarily love that. I um, don't really love the, the bailout there. I don't think it's really necessary right now. Um, you know, I think the players have been pushing for a shorter contract extension timeline uh, where you could, you could work a deal after two years instead of three. That's something that I don't feel overly strongly about. Um, I think from a team perspective, you probably would want to wait, right? You know, you, just so you don't end up getting burned on a player who looks really good after two years and then maybe takes a step back. Uh, which is, you know, somewhat of a rare case, but but I think if you're a team, you kind of want maximum time to evaluate your players. Um, but you know, that's that like like I said, that's something that could kind of go either way. But I would like to see an adjustment really on the 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 draft eligibility. I've never been a fan of the one and done rule. Um, I I thought it was totally fine when players could come out of high school. Um, I I recognize that there's no really perfect way to you know to go about adjusting this. If there was, the NBA would have done it by now. Um, but, but I'd like to see a, you know, you either come out of high school or you play two years in college, one or the other. So I, I think that that still allows the elite talent, the elite, elite talent, you know, to come out, you know, your Ben Simmons type of players. But it, I think it would help the, the product of the college game and, and help the product of the NBA game in the long term if players are still are spending more than one year at the college level. Do you think there is something coming in the CBA where, you know, the, the 29 owners or the 29 operations that are running for uh, NBA franchises that aren't Golden State will try to incorporate some things into the CBA that aren't necessarily friendly to the super team or the team that's going to be trying to renew a bunch of pricey contracts long term? 
that's interesting. You know, I, I think I think that discussion will be had certainly because there's probably some resentment, you know, among other teams in the league for for what Golden State was able to do. But that would be a little bit short sighted to me. You know, uh, I think the way that the the pre, you know that the the jump in in the cap worked out just happened to really favor Golden State because of the you know the contract that they have Curry on because of when they extended you know Thompson and and Green and and obviously with with KD's contract coming up that summer it was kind of a perfect storm and you know it, it you can say it's not fair I guess you know how it worked out for other teams uh, but but to kind of make a knee jerk reaction and you know adjust a CBA you know kind of a long term you know you, you know kind of agreement for the league like that based on this one situation I think would be a little bit short-sighted um you know I guess kind of switching gears another thing that I've thought a lot about is you know the conference realignment or eliminating conferences in the playoffs uh that seems again really short-sighted um you know the Western Conference isn't going to be overwhelmingly better forever and that that just kind of seems like something to me that it it wouldn't really necessarily fix anything in the long term like yeah sure for the next two years maybe it would it would make things a little more even but you know once the you know, once the Spurs core kind of maybe inevitably fades a bit, once the, you know, this Warriors team isn't going to be together forever, uh, you know, Memphis is getting up there, you know, the Clippers even, yeah, I think eventually things are going to always uh, come full circle. So I, I'm hesitant to, to agree to things that are, that are reacting to something in the present when the CBA is really meant to, to kind of keep the league's best interest in the future. Sure. Did, do you think that, I don't, think that if they want to do conference realignment or eliminate conferences they don't have to collectively bargain that do they can't the nba just sort of deal with that as sort of a rules of competition issue and just yeah yeah you're probably right right yeah i don't don't know yeah i guess that doesn't really concern the players union what do you think of the idea i know you've got to go soon and this is the last question i've got for what do you think of the idea of uh of sort of the max contract and and what it would take to make it so that teams could have a competitive advantage in keeping their own players, but set it up in such a way that they could present it to the players as, hey, you know, this is actually something that is is good for you in the long run because, you know, for the true max players, uh, you know, we want to devote an even bigger percentage of the cap or even bigger raises or something of that nature where, you know, it would give teams uh, a leg up in keeping their own guys, but it would also for the very truly best players in the league, uh, put an option out there for them to be able to get more than they might be able to get in the current agreement. Yeah, that's an interesting one. Um, you know, from a from a fan perspective, you know, you kind of want to see. I kind of like the craziness of, of free agency, you know, and and players kind of moving around and right. you know not you know not necessarily just keeping these this same parity all the time. But <laughs> you look over at Major League Baseball, where you know there's no salary cap, obviously, and the best players get market value, you know. And in the NBA, LeBron James playing for 20 million a year is well below market value. So when you look at it from that perspective, it's hard to criticize the players, you know, the top end players from really, you know, going against that. You know, I see where LeBron's coming from, but but at the same time, and you're creating this dichotomy in that situation where you know LeBron is taking up, you know, such a large portion of your cap, and you know he's making a hundred times what the cheapest you know paid player on your roster is making, and it, it, I think it would it would kind of further the divide you know between the top ten players in the league and even you know the next ten type of thing where, you know, there, there would be this huge difference between you know a guy you know uh, maybe a player like LeBron and a player like I don't know you know. Eric Bledsoe, John Wall, who are, you know, very, very good players in their own right, 
uh, but they're not quite in that top 10. And, and in that in that regard, there would be this huge gap in, in salary between them. So I think that's one where it seems like it's, you know, on, on paper, at least it seems like it, it's a good idea, but it would, it would be tough for, for me to see it working out. Interesting. Well, thank you so much for your time. It was a treat having you on. I, I hope that someday in the far distant future, you're able to convince Jeremy to bring the Bucks Cabal podcast back. Uh, but uh, enjoy the NBA season. And once again, thanks for your time. Anytime, man. Hopefully we'll get the Bucks Ball podcast back rolling someday. Uh, you know, if, if Jeremy's listening, Jeremy, uh, stop spending so much time with your new dog. Uh, let's start talking Bucks again, buddy. <laughs> well, there you have it. Get the gang back together. <laughs> All thanks, right. Thanks man. for having me, man. <laughs> See you later.